We are continuing to follow G.I. Packer's book about knowing God, and uh, having talked about God unchangeable or unchanging last week, um, today we're going to talk about the excellence of God. Um, Psalm 8 is a favorite of mine. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And as we think about that this morning, I want to just remind you um, of two things that are perfectly true, um, but need to be held in tension. They need to be held uh, together in our minds and in our faith. Um, It's said that Luther was um, talking with Erasmus and said to him, um, your thoughts about God are too human. And then more in our time, there was a a great writer called uh, J.I. Phillips, or J.B. Phillips, who said, um, your God is too small. And so what we want to talk about today is this notion that perhaps we have a God who is too small, at least in, in our imagination, in our construction, we have a God who's too small. And when we go to the Psalms, there's no room for that, because the Psalms are full of people who were just um, exalting God and declaring his greatness and his otherness and his majesty. So a little shepherd boy, while he's watching his sheep, is staring out into the night sky, and he's just taken, he's captured by the grandeur of God. And, and then he holds another thing in, in very proper tension. He says, and what about us? What, what is man that you are mindful about him. The two things I want to talk about today are the greatness of God um, and the importance of man. Um, Because we need to hold those two in tension so that we can live balanced, proper lives. So here is what we find in Psalm 93 that just tunes our hearts um, to remember that God is excellent. God is beyond Uh, anything that we can even imagine. Uh, The psalmist says the Lord reigns. He's clothed with majesty. Do you get, I mean, what kind of an image comes to mind? Um, It is something splendid. He's clothed with majesty. Not, Not just that he's clothed, but he's clothed with majesty. And what's majesty? It's finding the loftiest human word to talk about splendor, right? And, and the psalmist can't find enough words. There aren't enough words. There aren't the right words. There aren't the right vocabulary. So he, he just spins these images and says, the Lord reigns. Why? It's like he's clothed with majesty. The Lord has clothed and girded himself with strength. So not only is he majestic in the appearance of his grandeur, but he also is mighty, he's powerful, he's, he's girded with strength. So girded is, is, what is what is it that you bring around yourself, that you bring to bear? And the psalmist says what he brings to bear is strength. So there's this majestic being, and there's this strength that is girding around him. And he, he goes on, the psalmist says, Indeed, the world is firmly established. It will not be moved. Now, we've just heard him say that the world's, the world's going to pass away, right? And, and it is going to pass away like old clothes, as we saw last week, only to be recreated, only to be redone, only to be reestablished. And the psalmist says, 
unchangeable persons that we are, here is the Lord that we serve. The Lord reigns, and the, the world itself will not be moved away. And he says, your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Right? So how big a picture, an image of God can we get? We, we, we can never get a big enough one, but the psalmist is pushing the limits. He's, he's stretching us to say, what is the extravagant language that I can use that will help you grasp that you need a bigger, grander, more splendid view of God? And then he's taken to creation itself. And he has this, this little sort of set of, of rhyming words here. He says, the floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their pounding waves more than the sounds of many waters, than the mighty breakers of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty. Psalmist says, what is, what's the loudest thing I can imagine? What is, what is the most powerful um, I know what it is. It's the sound of water. So, you know, we live near Niagara Falls. Do you go there sometimes still? Right? If you go there, just listen to the pounding of the water coming over the falls. And watch that it, it never stops. It keeps tumbling over, tumbling over, tumbling over. And if you take that, that little put the rain jacket on and go down in behind the falls, the sound of that is enormous. So the psalmist says, I, 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 don't know, I don't know how to help you more than I can by just finding every image that I can get. Here's, here's what I think about God being clothed in splendor. Here's what I think about his presence. It, it's, he's always been, from everlasting, that what he has established is established. It'll never be changed because he has placed it there. And it's, it's like, well, the sound of God is like the sound of incredible rushing water. The Lord reigns. And then he says, your testimonies are fully confirmed. Holiness befits your house, O Lord, forevermore. How big is your God? See, we can, we can find ourselves kind of wobbling back into a, a sort of a, a human God, like Jesus was, and, and that's the tension that we hold. It's, it's proper for us to, to try to struggle about this, that God came and he was with us and he was Jesus and he was um, the full manifestation of, of the Godhead. But there is a God that we need to perceive, a God that we need to conceive of, who is enormous. And, and then all the more, the work of his coming to be uh, confined into the, the child and into the man, Jesus, who, who lived and taught us and died for our sins and all the rest. This psalmist says, though, stay for a little while on the excellence of God. Now, there's a time in, um, we hear about it in, in Exodus chapter 33, and Moses was a person who had, a remarkable relationship with God where he was walking with God and talking with God, so to speak. So one day Moses said to God, um, show me your glory. So Moses had this yearning in his heart to see 
this God that is clothed in majesty and splendor, girded with strength, whose voice is like the many waters, whose work is established forever and ever, from everlasting to everlasting, whose testimonies are confirmed. So he says, so show me your glory. Show me the, the splendor of your being. And God spoke to Moses, and then he said, listen, I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. You can't see my face. You want to see my glory? Here's the way it's going to be. I'm going to pass by, but I'm going to put my hand that will shield you from my presence in this cleft of a rock, and then I'm going to proclaim my name. What is God's answer to the heart cry of Moses? Moses' heart cry was, show me your glory. Show me what you're like. Give me something to hold on to. Give me something to remember. Give me something to envision. And God says, all right, I will show you my glory. Here's how I will show you my glory. I will proclaim my name. That's how you'll see my glory. So as we travel in this uh, journey of knowing God, and if we find in our hearts there is this yearning to know more, to see more, to get more of a glimpse, then God has given us a bit of a pattern here with his friend Moses. He says, you want to see my glory. That's good. So here's how you'll see my glory. I will proclaim my name. So the way that we get a glimpse of God's glory is that we get a glimpse of his name. And you know the whole story of the meaning of name in the scriptures, how that it's, it's the whole person is disclosed in a name. When God gives his name, um, his personal name, his covenant name to Israel, uh, he gives to them a great treasure as they were able to, to latch onto it and understand it. God said, I am who I am. I'm, I'm the one who is being, and you, you have my name, you know my name, and I'm going to tell you over and over how my name is kind of parsed out. It's Jehovah, but it's Jehovah with all kinds of other um, hyphenations on it that, that tell about who I am and what I am like and what I will do. So as Luther speaks to his friend, he says, you have too human a view of God. And I think we would also today want to add a second thing to that and say, we have too low a view of man. So when we understand that we have too low a view of God or too human a view of God, then we can begin to grasp what it means that we have too low a grasp on being human. Because when God is as lofty as he is, then we are able to latch onto how incredibly, incredibly significant we are as humankind, as his created beings. Is it possible that we might claim that the universe was made to be seen through these eyes? As cosmology changes and science and all of that, 
um, we live in a wonderful day. I read a book many years ago called God and the New Physics by a theoretical physicist named Paul Davies. And Davies said this about our universe. He said, it would take a universe of just this size, of just these proportions, of just these relationships to sustain life on just this one planet. So in the olden times, we thought that man was the center of the universe. And it turns out we were true. God did create the universe for his created humankind. And when we latch on to how great God is, then we come with the wonder of the psalmist and say, what is man that you care about him? But God steps up to say, man is the pinnacle of my creation. I have created this universe for man. I have doted on man from before creation ever came about. And if you want to live in the right tension of a walk with God, it would be to have a grander perception of God and then a very healthy appreciation for how important it is that he has created humankind. We are unique among creation. We are the purpose and the end of creation because God has wanted to have a relationship with his created humankind, and he invites us into that relationship. You see, the more we slip away on that, the more we let man become just kind of like the animal kingdom, the more we demote man, the, the, the more we rob man of the dignity, of, of the joy, of the, of the purity of being actually created in the image of this God who is the God who is absolutely excellent and beyond anything that we have seen or imagined or could see or imagine. Do we have a big enough view of God and do we have a big enough view of man? Do we revel in being his creation, be revel in being his king and his queen? As we think about the beginning of the whole story of us, we see God in his garden in the cool of the day and he has a king and a queen, a prince and a princess. And he loves to be with them because they are in his image, unique in all creation in his image, to live out his image and his likeness. And so there's this beautiful dance that happens in every cool of the day when God comes and he dances with those whom he has created. Do, do we have a high enough view of God? The answer is clearly not. Uh, we can't conceive of him. We're left with only the, the, um, the limits of human language and vocabulary, but we're also created as beings with imagination, um, with music, with dance, with arts. And all of that is, is a way that God has built into us some propensity to get the grandeur of who we are, what it is we've been created to be, so that we might indeed have a look at the universe that he created and dare to say, was this made to be seen by my eyes? Have you seen creation like that lately at all? Have you just marveled that it was made to be seen by you? That the, the, the reason you have this creativity is that God wanted you to see what he is like. The, the reason you have this imagination is that God wants you to 
enter into the imagination of his creative mind and ability. The reason you're musical is that God is a God of music and he loves all of the rhythms and all of the harmonies and all of the melodies of music. If you're a math genius, it's because God loves geometry and he loves calculus because he created all of this stuff. Not for his own amusement, but to show that he is a being of incredible grandeur, splendor, and we are like him. Don't have a God who's too small, but don't be a human who's too small. Have a God who is big enough to make all of the language of the psalmist even pale into insignificance. Be a human who's big enough to say, I was not created to be meaningless or nothing or to be thrown away. I was created in the image of God. And so is every human being on the face of the planet. Is it true that this universe was made to be seen through your eyes? Have you had an experience where in some way or another you have marveled, you've been overwhelmed by the grandeur of God? I hope this summer can be some time of that for you and for me. Go and see the beauty of nature. Go and listen to the beauty of music. Go and watch the incredible uh, movement of dance and say, this is from God. This is what God is like. This is what God has done. I had a great experience now several years ago. There's a, there's a little village in northern Kenya called Gatab, and it's at the very top of the Rift Valley. Um, there's a, a lake called Lake Turkana, which is a renowned lake. It's a saltwater lake, um, and there are half man, half fish that apparently inhabit the lake. I, I don't believe that's necessarily true, but I'll just give you the lore. And I was going with a missionary pilot up to Gatab. On the, it's a mountain, um, more of a hill, but it rises up out of the Rift Valley. Um, and it, it has canyons, just incredible canyons. And um, there are these, these people, the, the, the Turkana people who, who live there. Um, so I, I flew with, with Chuck up the Rift Valley, and that was a marvelous experience. Um, to be flying along the Rift Valley and seeing um, um, flamingos rise up from the ground under you, up towards the aircraft. And then Chuck has, was a missionary pilot for many, many years, very, really skilled. And he, he said, there's something I want to show you. So I said, well, what is it? He said, there's, there's a herd of elephants um, at, the, at the end of this canyon. So we'll fly into the canyon. I want you to see it. Now, I don't know a lot about flying, um, but I know there is a limit about how high you can go if you're flying a single-engine Cessna. And when, when Chuck turned into the canyon, um, he said, uh-oh. So you don't want a doctor to say, uh-oh, and, and you don't want a pilot to say, uh-oh. I said, what's wrong? He said, it's not the right canyon. I said, is, is that a problem? Well, he said, um, I think this canyon's about um, 10,000 feet, and I think that's above my ceiling. So I'm not sure we can get turned around. He, he got, I'm here, he, he got turned around, and, and on we went to, to the right canyon. And then other times he, he, 
just thrilled me to, to leave Gatab, um, you immediately fly down. So you, you take off this ridiculous short runway that you have to do a hop, skip, and a jump. Um, and then you, you dive down into the canyon and then pull up out of the canyon t- to fly through the Rift Valley. Um, not very many people live there. And I have just this unmistakable memory that is etched in my mind of nighttime. So at nighttime, I stood by the edge of the, ca- <clears throat> of the canyon and the the baboons had stopped their their barking that had gone on all day long was still as anything and you could see f- for for 20 or 30 or 40 miles down the rift valley and you could see into the skies and the the myriad of lights there was no town there were no fires there was no city and i stood there and i gazed at everything that was unfolding in front of me. And I looked down at the the ground that felt as though it would cave in under me. And I thought, God God made this. I mean, it it was the strongest impression I've had of the creator who was looking at it with me and saying, isn't this incredible? And his presence was palpable when I looked and said, oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? Look what you've done. Look at the glory of this. Look at the beauty of this. Look at the enormity of this. Look at the eternity of this. Your God is too human. Your God is too small. Then so are you. So if our God is bigger and as large as he ought to be, then we will find ourselves beginning to loom larger and say with the psalmist, what is man? What is man? That you will be thoughtful about him and the son of man. And the way the psalm is written, um, its translators have been nervous about doing it. The actual text says, you have made him a little lower than God. Not a little lower than the angels. You've made him just a little lower than God. Dare we ask, is it true that this was made to be seen by my eyes? Are you filled with wonder and marvel still? Where where does it show up for you? Make sure you find yourself in that place because there is something amazing about asking God to make himself bigger, to proclaim his name so that we can be the kinds of people that can adore him and um, find ourselves consumed with him. Three things I want to suggest to you. When we think about this and when we hear God say, you want to see my glory? Here it is. I'll proclaim my name. So we've been singing some songs about that this morning. The first thing is, I would say, meditate on his name. Just let your mind and your heart be captured by what God has told us about himself. Meditate on it. Second thing is testify of it. That's a great name in um, some of the gospel singing that's going on today. You know, I, Somebody needs to testify 
And you need to testify about God's name. I mean, what, what have you been meditating on about his nature, his character, his deeds? Um, tell somebody about that. Tell them uh, just as much as, you know, we went to Niagara Falls and you wouldn't believe the thundering sound of the falls falling over. You say, you wouldn't believe the thundering sound of God's voice or God's works. Testify of it and then trust in it. So the psalmist again has, has said, so do you now dare say he's forgotten your ways? Oh, Jacob. He, he will not forget your ways. And if we have a God who is too small, maybe he's too small to do what we need to be fully the humans that he has created us to be. So let him be the grand God that he is so that you can trust in that name because you've been meditating on it. It's been fixing itself in your mind. You've been talking about it. And you are taking it to the bank. You're saying, this is the God. God is my stronghold. David is such a great guide for us because he, he talks about his feelings. He talks about his angers. He talks about his happinesses. He talks about God and how he's struggling with God or delighting in God. And there's this lovely journey of walking with the meditations of our minds and our hearts the, the, the testimony of the truth of our God and then the trust that says, who else would I hold on to except for the one who is the one that's described in this psalm? Let's pray, shall we? Father, thank you for um, your grandeur. And there is, there's no end to it in our understanding. There's no end to it in our experience. There will never be an end to it. We will never plumb the depth of you. We will never exhaust the knowledge of you. And so, Father, we pray that you will, you will send us with delight into the, the depth of you to see and to hear and to perceive. Help us, Father, to use every means um, of observing, of being involved in um, learning and journeying. And Father, help us in that light to understand how incredible it is that you've made us and that you know us and that you are giving yourself to us as our God. And you're giving this beautiful universe, your home, to be ours, to see. Help us to see it uh, even in this season, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.